morning. The reading is taken from Luke chapter 2 on page 724 in the Pew Bibles and it's verses 1 to 21, the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Judea, in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd encourage you to keep that part of God's word open in front of you. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we are. And let me add as well, a Merry Christmas, if we uh, didn't have a chance to say that earlier. Uh, I hope that this day is indeed uh, all you picture it to be. How about we pray that God might speak to us clearly uh, and then uh, reflect a little more on that part of Luke 2. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for the way that you are so generous to us. We thank you for this beautiful day. Uh, a day where we can uh, rejoice in a city that you have made, uh, a city that is so beautiful, uh, full of natural wonders. We thank you that uh, it's a day we can celebrate the friends and family you've placed around us. And most of all, we thank you that today is a day we can celebrate the gift that you've given of your son. And Father, we pray that uh, as we hear your word now, and as we look a little more at the details of your son, the gift of your son, that you would speak to us clearly, give us humble hearts, that love everything you say, 
and that we'd be uh, following after all that it instructs us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, I do hope this day is a day that is all you pictured it to be. Uh, Christmas is a a very visual, a a very sensory time, isn't it? Uh, Our minds are are chock full of Christmas imagery. We've got the the vibrant red and green colours that we kind of splash around everywhere and you can see them scattered around church and we saw them in the video. Uh, They're on your table setting, I'm sure, when you get home. Uh, Even for those of us who who are born and bred in Australia, there are images of, you know, Stockings by the half and you know, snow-covered pine trees and wintry nights lit with candles. And they all scream Christmas to us, even though the reality uh, is much more that kind of sweating it out, 30-degree heat, the oven's on all day. You know, we have these images of Christmas. It's a visual time. We've as well got those, in our minds, the images of Christmas past. You know, the, the, the fun and the tension of family get-togethers. We have those images of you know, shopping centre photos on Santa's knee. And then you know, there's all this kind of imagery before we even get to the biblical imagery. You know, the, the nativity, there's the stable and there's all the different animals and there's Joseph and Mary and angels and magi and shepherds. Um, and of course, there's the baby Jesus. Uh, Christmas in many, many ways is a time of sensory overload, uh, not to mention eating too much. You know, we have so many visual impressions vying for our, our attention. Now, this is not hard research, uh, but I did type Christmas into Google Images, and uh, I got 247 million results. Um, I didn't bother kind of wading through them. Uh, doing the same with Easter, I got 12 million. Uh, I'm no maths expert, but that's less than 3%, the number of images. Christmas is a visual time. Why, why does that matter? Well, because pictures shape our experience. They shape our goals. They, they shape our expectations. Uh, we have a picture in our mind of what the Christmas experience should be and we act to make it happen. It's why you bothered uh, going out shopping with the rest of the hordes this week. It's why you stayed up late last night wrapping presents and why you bothered to set the table because you have these pictures, these expectations. Christmas is visual. We've got to recognise the power of those images. And this Christmas morning, let's embed in our minds a clear image of Jesus, the tiny baby and total saviour. Not just so that we experience Christmas rightly, but that every day, even into eternity, is rightly experienced. We've got to picture the true humility of God that will lead us to appreciate and worship him. Let's start with that picture of the tiny baby the image of our humble God. Um, we're familiar with the details. I read moments ago by John. You probably know most of them. You know, there's the irony of Caesar who's taking a census of his empire. Um, all the while, he doesn't notice the fact that the king of the universe is born. Uh, there's the controversy surrounding Mary's pregnancy that Luke highlights in verse 5. Uh, there's that mixed group of visitors who come to, to celebrate the newborn. Uh, at one end, you've got the angelic chorus in verse 13. You know, creation has no more mysterious, no more exalted being than angels, and they gather together in praise, testifying to the heaven's reaction. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men on whom God's favour rests. And at the other end, 
You've got the recipients of the announcement. It's not Caesar Augustus. It's not the local governor, Quirinius. It's shepherds. It's the bottom rung of the ancient culture's workforce. So God is already, even at this Christmas, intentionally overturning the world order. And we're familiar with that picture. I suspect you've seen plenty of nativity scenes. But let me highlight one detail for us this morning. The swaddled baby in a manger. It's a strange detail, but, but Luke repeats it three times, which is kind of his way of underlining, of you know, italicising, bolding it. So verse 7, she, Mary, wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you, a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And again in verse 16, now there's, there's nothing particularly remarkable. This is you know, one of my daughter's wraps. This is probably prettier. Well, I know it's prettier than the original. There's nothing particularly spectacular about wrapping a baby that way. It's the normal way that you wrap up a child to, to protect a newborn, its new limbs, after so long it's been in its mother's womb. The manger is a touch more unusual. It's an animal's food trough. But it's familiar to it and yet remarkable. Because when you picture that scene, what you are really seeing is the humility of God. The uncontainable and infinite God is wrapped up in swaddling like this. A tiny bit of cloth. The creator now becomes the weakest part of creation. Uh, The one that you and I and all of us look to for our sustenance and life becomes dependent and demanding. Uh, This is humility. Humility isn't that kind of thing where you go, oh, no, really, I'm not that good. Um, That's false humility. Real humility is not pretending to be less than you are. It's putting other people's needs ahead of yours, even if you are, inverted commas, more than them. Humility, real humility, is difficult. But when we glimpse it, it's touching, isn't it? I heard on the radio this week praise from Moira Kelly, if that name's not ringing a bell yet. Moira Kelly is the, the uh, guardian for the recently separated conjoined twins, Krishna and Vishnu. Uh, and people were praising her, not least for her care of these girls, but, but how she has, as much as possible, stayed away from the limelight. It's never been about her. It's always been humble service. A friend shared with me an email from his grandfather in the UK. His grandma's not uh, with it anymore. Here's an excerpt. A week or so ago, I thought my beloved Isabel was going to be with Jesus. In fact, the doctor said to me, the end is near. But as she's done twice before, she rallied. And now the staff here say that she may well last months or longer. It's a fairly lowly state of existence, in bed all the time, mostly sleeping, having to be fed, but she still eats fairly well and almost completely unable to speak. She can smile at visitors, but rarely at me. I spend a good deal of time with her uh, in her room and I read and pray with her and sometimes sing hymns to her, which I hope she enjoys. I've cancelled the long weekend I was going to spend with old friends in Cumbria, the Lake District. I would value your prayers. There's a man of humility. Uh, Putting his wife's needs ahead of his own. We glimpse moments of that humility, don't we? And yet they are just pale in reflection of seeing what God has done. They are just tiny shadows of God's actions. When you picture in your mind that baby... Wrapped in cloths, placed in a manger, what we are seeing is the humility of God, putting our needs before his. 
You know, the, the whole of Christ's life was humble service. You know, he kept company with outcasts and he embraced untouchables. He wept for his enemies. He set an example uh, to his followers of washing feet, that is, doing the lowest work of a slave. He hung on a cross for my guilt and yours. There's an unusual kind of bookends to his life. He was born with animals and he died with criminals because he was humble. Philippians 2 sums it up this way. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. And taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, lower again, became obedient to death, lower again, even death on a cross. And therefore, God lifted him up, he exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the Lord, the the same announcement that the angels made. This is true humility, becoming that tiny baby and the life that followed. He didn't need the pain. But if we were to be saved from our moral and physical frailty, we needed God to act as one of us. On behalf of us, God had to share in our experience to raise us to something greater. Um, C.S. Lewis, who's most famous for the Narnia series, he paints this kind of beautiful picture of Christ's actions. Uh, One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then up again, back to colour and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both coloured now, that they have come up into the light, down below where it lay colourless in the dark. He had lost his colour too. That diver diving into the ooze for, for what? You. You are that precious thing. You don't meet your own standards, I don't meet my own standards, let alone God's standards, and yet you and I are that precious thing he came for in all humility. In part, when we see the picture clearly, it challenges us to embrace that kind of humility, doesn't it? To put others before us in the same way. Uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, evolutionary scientist and uh, atheist evangelist, was interviewed uh, last Monday night by Andrew Denton on his Elders program. Uh, When he was asked his life ethic, he answered it, that it was a variation on the golden rule. His version, don't do anything to others you wouldn't like them to do to you. It is a variation. It's weak variation, a disappointing variation. It's a negative variation of Christ's word and example. What did Jesus say? He said the active, go and do to others as you would have them do to you. You Actively put other people first. Don't just passively hope they don't hurt you. It's what he did in his own life. Uh, And he did it for those who didn't even love him. You know, there is a challenge for us to be like that Moira Kelly, to be like my friend's gra- grandfather, loving those in need, but even more to be scandalously as humble as Jesus, 
to love the unlovely, love your enemies. When you've got a real image of God, that tiny baby, that total saviour in your mind, when it's burnt there, embedded there, you need to relate differently to others. But Christmas time is not really primarily about what we do, but appreciating what's done, what God has done. The true picture of Christ has to be marvelled at and delighted in and appreciated. In becoming that tiny baby, he is our total saviour. Uh, That's why the angels cried in verse 11, Today in the town of David a saviour is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That that tiny baby is the total saviour of every individual who's ever walked the earth. He is the one and only substitute who can deal with your sins. He's he's the only way that our moral frailty, our guilt, can, can satisfactorily, completely, totally be dealt with. Nothing in your past or future that can't be redeemed from. It's why the angels can say... Don't be afraid. You know, the, the, the shepherds experience something of the divine. That seems scary, and yet we don't need to be afraid. Humanity doesn't need to fear when God moves in grace. And Martin Luther spent years in fear before he grasped that truth. He recounts, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I couldn't believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love him. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. See, he had a picture of God and knew that God would judge and he was trapped by the fear of his own failings. He was trapped by the fear of the judgment he faced. And perhaps, even though you're here celebrating today, perhaps that's you. But then Luther grasped the reality of what Christ achieved, that God's humility guaranteed his salvation, that he had nothing to fear when God moves in grace. And we can have that same comfort because he is that tiny baby total saviour. And maybe that picture of the tiny baby is one you're you're particularly familiar with. But it would be a remiss of me not to fill out that picture on Christmas Day that Jesus is more than just the helpless baby. He is the Lord to whom every knee will bow. That's the other part of the picture of his total saving we need to remember. He is going to save all this world, not just you, but all this world from its injustice. And isn't that what we desperately long for? Uh, as a family, um, we, we got online, we got that tier catalogue, arguably the world's best gift catalogue. Um, and so, you know, I suspect there's still time if you want to race out and buy um, a, a toilet for a needy community or a goat. Uh, for those in need. Um, and as we were doing it, uh, one of my children said, I wish we could get something for everyone. I know we all want that. We want a total saviour, not just a saviour for you and me and my problems, but the world's problems, other people's problems. I hear of their problems and I'm drawn in. We looked at countries around the world and we know that they don't enjoy the luxuries we do and we care about that. We want a total saviour, not just a personal one. And thankfully in Jesus, when we get the clear picture, we will. He will come back. He will return to destroy all injustice, all those imperfections. That tiny baby is only half the image. Today we we repicture a saviour born, Christ the Lord. And so, yes, we appreciate his humility. But we need to do more than celebrate Christmas annually, don't we? We live every day 
trusting his rule, depending on this king. Yeah, an annual acknowledgement, if that's all we did of his rule, would be no better than kind of you know, speeding uh, under the influence of alcohol 364 days a year. And then when you turn up in court, go, but yes, but there was that day where I was sober and I drove safely. It's just not going to cut it when the total saviour comes. That tiny baby is only half the image. We remember this total saviour, Christ the Lord. I do hope that your Christmas today is very merry. I hope it's everything you pictured. And I hope we all leave this day with a clear picture of that great news. Joy for all people, the tiny baby, the total saviour. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way in which he came amongst us and humbled himself, put our needs before his own. Lord and Father, we pray that this day we would get a clear picture of him and so that we could celebrate in that tiny baby and all the more in that one who saves us totally from our own sins but also will deal with the sins and the injustice of this whole world. Father, we pray that each one of us would leave this day with a clear image and a greater appreciation of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.